0: An email list will be the biggest asset that you own as an entrepreneur. Mine is the number one way that I drive profits into my business. And I am teaching you exactly what to do in order to grow and serve yours. My signature course on email list building, the list to launch lab is now open for brand new students right now. Learn more at Jenna slash email. Now, if you are someone asking questions like what do I say and when and how do I grow an email list even if I don't have a website and what if I'm no good at the tech stuff? Well, I've heard questions just like these for years and in fact, I used to ask them myself, but I've got the answers and my email list has the receipts to prove it. Inside of the List to Launch Lab, you will get fluff free content that you can take on the go and learn in whatever setting works best for you swipe files and email templates so you're never stuck on what to say next, plug and play designed guide so that you can get your freebie done in no time, plus the strategies that give me thousands of new subscribers every single week. We also added a mini mastermind style bonus module featuring five next level lessons from some of the industry's best list builders, all included when you join. Let me hold your hand through the process and teach you everything you need to know so that you can finally get the email list building results and the business growth that you've been searching for. Join me inside at com forward slash email before the doors close at midnight on May 22nd. That's com forward slash email. I can't wait to see you inside. You're listening to the Gold Digger podcast, episode number 164. I'm so excited about our guest today. Danielle Walker is the beloved author of three New York Times bestselling cookbooks, which you're going to hear all about what that means to her. She is the founder of Against All Grain. And Danielle serves as a voice behind one of the most popular grain-free blogs on the internet. After being diagnosed with an autoimmune disease and suffering for many years, Danielle found health through dietary changes. She has become the beacon of hope in the autoimmune world and has been a leader in the paleo and gluten-free movement for nearly 10 years. Danielle has appeared on the Today Show, The Doctors, Fox News, Access Hollywood, and many other syndicated shows, and her work has been featured in People, Oh, USA Today, Shape, Women's Health, Parents, and Fitness, while I am a fellow gluten-free foodie, what Cat captivated me about Danielle is how she serves a niche audience so well. Not everyone suffers from autoimmune disease or intense dietary restrictions, but for those who do, they need someone to trust. Danielle has flawlessly created a thriving business that serves a smaller niche audience, which really, let's be honest, it's not that small. And today I'm going to get the lowdown on how we can develop our niche, serve our clients well, and turn a business into a widespread success based off of our own personal needs. Gold diggers. I'm so excited to welcome Danielle Walker. Now, before we do, I have to read to you the review of the week from Lee Choate. It says what I love about listening to Jenna is her enthusiasm and transparency. She loves what she does. And you can tell by her voice that she is excited and that there is something that she spreads to the listener instantly. Thanks, Jenna, for your great information and for being a leader. Thank you so much, Lee, for leaving that review. Your guys's reviews. Oh, man, me and Danielle talk about how much it means to get feedback from you. So if you haven't left a review, view for the podcast, would you just take a minute and do that? It sincerely helps me create the show that is going to serve you best. Now, without further ado, ah, I'm so excited. You've
1: got to listen to this interview with Danielle. You're listening to the Gold Digger podcast, where we firmly believe that work doesn't have to feel like work. Self-made millionaire and marketing guru Jenna Kutcher will help you redefine what success looks like. It's time to hear from the experts, listen in on honest conversations, and learn the best tips and tricks that helped others pave their own way and craft their dream career. If you're ready to dig in, do the work, and tackle your biggest goals, you're in the right place. Here's your host, educator, photographer, and mac and cheese lover, Jenna Kutcher. So first things first, give us a
0: peek into the life of Danielle, because Danielle, I have been following you as soon as I was diagnosed that I couldn't eat gluten anymore. I needed women in my life that were walking the walk and talking the talk, and you we're somebody who legitimately thousands of my followers tagged as somebody that was inspiring and leading this way. And that was when I found you and just absolutely fell in love. And so I want for you to just take the stage and share with our listeners who is Danielle and how has your path unfolded and what exactly do you do today? No. Oh, well,
2: first of all, I love that you know better than anybody on Instagram. It's pretty rare that you actually see when people tag you because their yes. system of like <laughs> the cataloging of their system is so terrible, and everything just gets moved down the line. But I remember that day because I you can see it when people tag you in comments, and I remember seeing so many of them, and I'm like, what is this post that <laughs> so many people? Are and those are like my favorite kind of like, I love to see, you know, my followers loving me enough to recommend, you know, mm-hmm. to somebody else but they trust what I do enough to recommend it, especially to somebody who is newly diagnosed or like newly on this journey. And you see those a lot. And that's, you know, social media is so great and so terrible at the same time. But those are my favorite times is when somebody comes out on social media and just like gives that call for help. And I love those. Like, I love seeing the community kind of rally around and and give people, you know, advice. And I see it a lot, like moms, like, you know, mom bloggers or things like that on Instagram whose child was, like, newly diagnosed with dairy or gluten intolerance. And they're so lost in that moment that they Mm -hmm. just kind of, like, go out to everybody and they're like, okay, just, like, help me. (laughs) And I just think it's so great because if we didn't have any, so, like, you know, I can start...
0: Isolating. Yeah.
2: Totally. And so when I was diagnosed, I have an autoimmune disease called ulcerative colitis, very similar to Crohn's disease. And I was diagnosed back in 2007. Sorry, I get all my dates mixed up. (laughs) Like total mom brain from the last 10 years. So I was diagnosed in 2007. And that was really, I mean, that was before Instagram, Facebook was kind of around, but it was mostly just college students. And so there weren't a lot of resources. And so that was really isolating and scary for me. And I didn't have you know, anybody to ask, what do I do, and who to follow, and, you know, that kind of a thing, and so I love that there's that side of things now, so, yeah, so I was just married, two months married, my high school sweetheart, and we had just graduated college, and I started having some kind of digestive issues, which I just chalked up to, like, you know, wedding stress, mm-hmm. and,
1: and
2: thinking, like, okay, as soon as we settle down, and we move into our place, so like, everything will just kind of go back to normal, and It didn't, and after about two months after we got married, I ended up in the ER and just saw a slew of different specialists and didn't get diagnosed for a long time. I was told everything from, like, you need to eat more fiber and, like, just throw, like, a cup of oat bran into a smoothie every day. Oh, my (laughs) gosh. To you might have colon cancer, which I was like, uh, okay, that's not really something that you just drop as like a mite, you know? Right. And so, you know, so I just started kind of doing my own research and ultimately we got a specialist who performed some tests and was able to diagnose me with that autoimmune disease. But I was kind of just ushered out the door without really, you know, like, any understanding of what the disease was and what side effects there might be and you know how the medication might affect me and I was kind of told I could live a normal life and as a newlywed you know that was the biggest thing that I was worried about like will I be able to continue working in my job will I be able to eventually have kids and so very very long story short medications made me worse and I spent a lot of years in and out of hospitals just really sick and had to take medical leave from my job and I eventually came to food on my own, that food could really help. And so I drastically overhauled my diet and saw like an 80% improvement in my symptoms in 24 hours. Um, So that was kind of just the start of of everything, just finding that and finding health again. And and then everything, you know, business-wise and my blog and books and everything kind of just came after that.
0: <laughs> oh, that's what I love about your story, Danielle, is that you took something that you were walking through, something you would have never imagined creating a business around, right? right. Like if somebody told you someday, Danielle, you're going to have this empire and it's going to be all about avoiding these certain foods and how yeah. you can live a normal life, you would have probably died laughing, right? <laughs> right. Definitely. <laughs> it's so funny. So Let's talk about Against All Grain, because here's the great thing about this is one of my followers sent me your cookbook in the mail, and I just fell in love. I fell in love with you and your story and the way you show up, and it is so much more than a cookbook, let's be honest, but how did this all come to be? How did you realize that something you were struggling with turned into something that you could actually change other people's lives with? Yeah, so I recently had quit my
2: job to be a stay-at-home mom. I had my first little guy who's now almost eight, and I started just getting into the kitchen and creating recipes, and I didn't go to culinary school or anything like that, but like I said, there wasn't a lot out there at the time, and so I felt really kind of a little bit deprived, first of all, and kind of hopeless at the time just in terms of food and just being able to enjoy my life and being able to host people and go to other people's homes and I, you know, I honestly, I, I joke about it and I say it all the time, but I had a very, very real fear that I was going to have to eat
1: grilled
2: <laughs> broccoli for the rest of my life, you know, and I'm like, this is a terrible life if I have to like just eat bland food forever. And so I just said when my son would be napping, I would start just getting into the kitchen and I would start playing around with new ingredients and I would kind of take you know old favorite recipes of like my grandmother's or even just from old cookbooks and I would try to swap out ingredients for things that I could eat and I started you know it started slow and I would have a lot of failures and I started having a lot of successes and I would have food that tasted really great and I would take it into like my husband's office and share it with people or have you know my family over and share it and people just kind of kept encouraging me like you you know can you like send this recipe to me I really like it just like put it on your Facebook and so that I can get it and my husband one day was like you should start a blog and no joke I think I looked at him and was like what's a blog (laughs) I didn't know you know I didn't really realize like that you could share things with people and I just didn't know and so I was like all right well maybe I'll start writing a blog while you know while Asher's napping and so I started just putting up new recipes and kind of cataloging my journey as I started changing my diet and kind of you know cataloging just the symptoms that I was having and how these foods were helping and my kind of triumphs and failures in the kitchen. And I originally honestly just started writing it so that I could keep my family members like posted on everything. Mm -hmm. They would kind of be asking me, you know, like, how are you? And you know, how's, you know, how's this going? And, and I started sharing just on my personal Facebook page all the time, like, Oh, I have this new recipe, you know? And then I started realizing like, Oh my gosh, my friends from college, are going to be so annoyed with me. I'm like (laughs) constantly talking about food, you know, or like my, whatever, my sister who doesn't eat this way probably could care less about this new recipe that I made. And so one day while my son was napping, I was like, I'm going to start an against all grain Facebook page. And I was like, that way they can choose if they want to follow me or not. I don't have to annoy people like they click the follow button and they can very easily click the unfollow button and nobody will be offended. And it just took off from there. I posted, there were two recipes I can remember. One was like a sandwich bread and one was my chocolate chip cookies. They're called the Real Deal Chocolate Chip Cookies. And I just remember after posting those, the, the traffic to my blog and then also just my Facebook page just kept growing and growing. And I think after the first year, I had like 25,000 people and, you know, and then it's just gone up and up from there. And so that's really like social media, I feel like is kind of what got it all started but, you know, at that time still, I was just giving away things for free,
1: <laughs> like, mm-hmm. you know,
2: creating two to three recipes a week and getting them up on my blog. And I didn't have advertisers and I didn't have, I mean, not even like Google, you know, advertising. And yeah. stuff. It was normally started with right where they're
0: giving you like the most random dollars. ads oh, ever yeah, so
1: most <laughs> random ads
2: and like barely any money. And Facebook, you know, it's free. I'm just giving out all this stuff to people. And so, about a year or so after I started it, I kind of started thinking like, okay, I'm spending a lot of time creating these recipes. I'm spending a lot of money creating the recipes by having to buy all the food and testing things multiple times. And there's, and I'm seeing that there's a real need for it. And there's a lot of people that are coming to this, you know, for all sorts of different health reasons, not just mm-hmm. mine, you know, there's like hundreds and hundreds of autoimmune diseases. Like if there's, I mean, there's so many that most people would be familiar with. I mean, MS and psoriasis and, you know, celiac and Mm -hmm. uh, ulcerative colitis and uh, diabetes, you know, so, I mean, there are like, there are tons, lupus, you you probably know somebody who has an autoimmune condition and they're all eating, you know, grain-free, dairy-free to try to help, you know, kind of get inflammation down and help some of those symptoms. And so I started really seeing like, okay, there's a real need for this. And there's not a lot out there. There were maybe a couple bloggers at the time, maybe one or two books. And so I'm thinking to myself like, okay, how can I make this worth it for me? I'm now a stay at home mom. I need to, you know, to be able to make something to kind of make this worth it. And and we spent a lot of money like developing my blog and getting that kind of stuff going. And so I started thinking like, well, maybe I'll just do a self-published like mini cookbook because I'm creating all these recipes and maybe I can just charge like a couple books for it. (laughs) And then like, right as I started looking into self-publishing, I got a call from a publisher who offered me a book contract. And I remember kind of like getting the email and freaking out, first of all. And second of all, thinking like, well, I I can't write a cookbook. Like I'm not a Food Network star. I'm not, you know, like an Ina Garten and I'm not a Rachel Ray and I'm I'm not allowed to write cookbooks. You Mm -hmm. know, like I'm thinking like, you have to be this you know, trained chef that went through culinary school that has a TV show that has this and that to be able, or you know, owns a restaurant to be able to write a cookbook, and so I, I thought they made a mistake.
0: <laughs> are you sure you want
2: me? <laughs> yeah, I was like, are you sure? You know, and I actually I think I did ask them that because they also wanted me to photograph it, which at that point I was doing, you know, photos for my blog, but I had no idea what I was doing. Like, I mean. It was the most frustrating thing for me in the world, and there would be times where I would take five thousand, no joke, photos of one food dish that doesn't move, mind you, because I know you're a photographer. Mm-hmm. Yep. I, you know, like, I, like I can understand taking five thousand pictures of a family whose children are looking all over the place and you get like one, but I mean, this food is sitting there and it's not changing. Like, I just had no clue what I was doing with lighting, and I had, you know, I mean, it was just, I had no idea what I was doing. So. I would just trial and error it, and I would just take a billion photos until I got one that I liked, and then I, that, that's the one that would go on the blog, and I could never recreate that the next time I needed
1: mm-hmm. to take photos, because
2: I had no idea what I was doing wrong and what I was doing right, and so they said, we want you to write a book, and we want you to photograph it, and I was like, are you sure? <laughs> and you know, it was a cool story, and that the woman who worked for the publisher had a son who was on the spectrum. He went to a school that had a cereal day once a week and the kids would bring in like Lucky Charms and, you know, Frosted Flakes and all those things that he couldn't eat because she kept him on a grain-free and dairy-free diet to help, you know, manage some of the things that he was dealing with. And so he felt really out of place and really alone and I think was probably angry that he couldn't participate. And I had a granola recipe on my blog that was crunchy and made of nuts and coconut and really good and so she would make that for him weekly and send it into school with him with almond milk and so he got to participate with the other kids and I loved hearing that from her mm-hmm. just like okay you actually really understand why I do what I do you actually appreciate the recipes and now you want me to write a book because of that which I think is just amazing and so I agreed to write the book and they moved quickly, way, way to <laughs> traditional publishers, which I've now found out. So I wrote it, and it came out in 2013, and, and that was my first book. And you know, during that time as well, my husband really was the one that was encouraging me to monetize. I'm like a major, mega people pleaser. And I even remember when I was talking to the publisher about how much this book would cost, I think at one point I asked if it could be like $9.99 for like a full <laughs> like actual book because I'm like, I don't want to offend people. They've been following me and they're used to free recipes and I just don't know if they're going to buy, you know, a $30 cookbook and he had been doing it for a long time and he's like, no, trust me, like you can price this book at $34.95. Like no, I don't, as an author, I don't make that $35. I'm just going to stop right there and, <laughs> and, men- and mention that to everybody. We get a small percentage. But, you know, he believed in and he's like, hey, there's 160 recipes in this book, all of which have never been on your blog. Maybe, Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I included a few fan favorites and he's like, people will buy it. Like there's a need for it. People want it. People want to eat healthier. And so it was kind of that same conversation I had with my husband a lot of like, oh, I've been on these websites and blogs when there's just advertisements everywhere. And I really don't want that. And I don't want like the whole sidebar of ads because I think that it just like ruins the experience. And I also don't want people to think that I've sold out. So I dealt with a lot of like guilt of making money from the work that I was doing I've come to learn at this point that no you know nobody works for free and I don't expect somebody to go sit in an office for eight hours a day and not get a paycheck but it was definitely a thing that I had to kind of deal with and be kind of almost talked into and so my husband really was the one that started helping me with that. He was the one that was, you know, speaking with the different kind of ad agencies and getting ad placement on my blog. And he was the one that like set up my Amazon affiliate account where I could start, you know, I was already naturally recommending products to people. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I can't remember where we found out about it, but at one point we were like, oh my gosh, like I can be making commission for recommending these products to people that I already would be telling them to use. And it doesn't charge them any more money, but it makes me money. Yeah. So we started realizing like, okay, I can still do what I'm doing and do it naturally and organically, but also start to somewhat make a living for myself.
0: <laughs> I think that's like a huge mind block for a lot of us, especially as women. When we create something that we need out of necessity, it's like a piece of our heart. And you're totally. like, how can I possibly charge for this when other people need it too? But it's like this constant battle. I mean, I had the same thing with this podcast where I was like, should I have sponsors or not? I personally don't know. Like, But then I'm like, no, Like, I'm putting forward so much work and so much time. I should get paid yes. for that but it's this yeah. like mental battle of like necessity versus need versus desire and it's right. it's hard isn't it it's so hard it's so hard and I think that's I
2: love that coming from that place though of starting something to help people I mean yes. definitely there are definitely the go-getters that are only starting something to make the money right and mm-hmm. I'm like I love that it started from the heart of just wanting to help people because I think that helps keep The whole thing in perspective as it starts to grow and for me you know I mean in terms of your podcast and kind of with my blog of having advertisers and sponsors like that to me is better than charging the people that are looking Mm -hmm. right so like because you have a sponsor you don't have to charge these people for the podcast because I have advertising on my blog or I make Amazon affiliate commission I don't have to charge or have like a paywall on my blog to be a member to get these specific recipes. And, you know, it's like I still while I do write my books and that has become the major, you know, income for our family, I still have like three hundred free recipes on my mm-hmm. blog. And I continue to put free recipes up there for the person who can't afford to spend thirty five dollars on a book. Although I will stop and say you can get the book for nine ninety nine on <laughs> So that is so much more affordable if you can't get the free one or the big one. But um Yeah. So, you know, it's like, I still feel like I still give a ton of free content away. I'm still posting on social media with recipes. Mm -hmm. I still, you know, I even give sneak peek recipes for my blog and I do videos and, you know, I think people, people don't realize how much some things like that can cost, like cooking videos. I mean, I'm like, I don't know how many, like if people talk figures on this. Yeah. Oh, lay it out, girl but yeah, like a produced video, like the kind that I put up on my YouTube channel, it can cost upwards of $10,000 a day to Mm -hmm. to produce those like three minute videos for people. And, you know, I mean, I can throw up a a cell phone and I can make something like or do a Facebook live, but to get like a full recipe cut down, you know, to three minutes where it's something that people can actually have the (laughs) time to watch, you know, and not tune out. That's that's an expensive thing. And, And like I said, no recipe creation. And, buying ingredients multiple times to make sure something's right. And Mm -hmm. photography for, you know, I I stopped photographing my books after the first, (laughs) it was just such a stressful thing for me and took up so much time and I never felt like I was great at it. And so I started paying for for photos and that's an expensive, Mm -hmm. you know, so yeah, I think I had to realize, and I had to have a few people kind of speak into me and be like, no, it's okay. You have, you have done enough, in the last couple of years for free that it's now time for you to start, you know, earning money if, if you're gonna
0: continue to do this and make mm-hmm. it sustainable. Absolutely. One thing that I think is so good for all of us to remember is those who pay pay attention. And mm-hmm. so while it's awesome that we love to put out free content, like our true tribe are the people that are willing to put money down because they're Aww. the ones that are are really paying attention, they're making your recipes, they're tagging you. You know, and so it's so interesting to kind of decipher that difference between just mere followers and like actual yep. fans. And so it's kind of a good permission granter in that where we're like okay we're we're on the right path yes yes they get a little skin in the
2: game which is great because yeah there yes. are just a lot of like bystanders people that just kind of watch and never actually participate and engage and and that's great if that's the kind of you know person that you want to be but it's always so great to have that like true tribe of people mm-hmm. that you're hearing from and I mean like now like I recognize people's screen names on Instagram and their faces you know in the little circles that I've never met them in person, but there are people that I know comment and that are engaged and that, you know, are just like always there and are also people that are, you know, giving something back also to the community. I think mm-hmm. like they're the ones that help answer questions, too, even if I can't get to them right away. And yep. that's the kind of crowd that I want to be with, which is
1: cool.
0: So visit activations.com forward slash gold digger now for over 60% off. Do not miss out on this crazy deal. They rarely do discounts and it expires soon. That's activations.com forward slash gold digger. I love that. So I have a question for you. I I know you'll answer honestly, but have you ever felt like you backed yourself into a corner being in such a niche environment in such a niche culture? Like, have you ever been like, okay, I'm tired of doing this or this isn't just (laughs) what I want? I want to know. Tell me, Danielle.
2: Yeah. No, I don't feel like I, no, I've never felt like this is not what I want to do. I have actually been very strategic from the beginning to not put myself in such the corner that some of the other, like some of my peers are in. My publisher had to fight to put the word paleo on my book, to be (laughs) honest with you, my first book, because I was like, you know what? There are people that might shut down when they hear that word and they might still need to eat this way, whatever this way is, you know, to, yep. to feel better. And there are people out there that just may want to like, feed their family healthier meals a couple times a week. Or there's people out there that just need to be gluten-free, but they don't necessarily need to be grain-free and paleo, but my recipes will still work for them and they'll still really enjoy them. And so I've really over the years fought to kind of make what I do as appealing to a broader group as I can. I mean, obviously mm-hmm. somebody who loves gluten and wheat, you know, is not going to come anywhere near my stuff, but I'm just trying to appeal more to like the healthy kind of eating crowd. Obviously everything's going to be gluten-free and grain-free and, and dairy-free as well, but I feel like I don't have to make such a big deal out of those things because my overall goal always is that the food just tastes good Mm -hmm. and that no matter what kind of eating style you need to have you can still cook those recipes and enjoy them you know so it's like every time I would test a recipe I would make sure that I tested it and had people in my home that could eat whatever the heck they wanted and that they would still enjoy the food when they ate it like that there weren't you know, sitting there being like, oh my gosh, what is this cardboard? So yes, I've never once been like, I don't want to do this anymore, but I'm stuck doing it. And I've, you know, I mean, it's definitely been a fight to kind of try to get out of this small niche corner, especially because like one of my ultimate goals is to have a show on TV where I can be teaching about this way of cooking. And it mm-hmm. definitely gets shut down by networks a lot because it is quote unquote niche, but, man, the stats though these days of just you know how many people are needing to eat this way, and it 's crazy, like people call it niche, but honestly, like it's so much less mm-hmm. excuse me, less niche than it used to be i mean there's fifty million i think they're estimating like fifty million Americans have autoimmune conditions, so that is to me that 's not really niche, like fifty million is a lot of Americans and, yep. and the like the gluten free kind of just the the marketplace for gluten free has grown tremendously as well. So yeah, I mean, I feel like I was I feel like it was more niche when I first started than mm-hmm. it is now, which is huge. So, I feel like it's been growing exponentially with me and I've been kind of at the forefront of the movement, which has been really cool. So, I've I haven't really felt like I'm in a corner. I I love that very long answer for the question that
0: you No, that was perfect (laughs) I was gonna ask you because you know when I was diagnosed in 2017 so a year ago like everyone was just saying like it's so much easier than it used to be so can you talk a little bit about how the industry has changed and how that has kind of transformed your business and your journey
2: Yeah, I mean, so it's definitely changed and improved. And I think the understanding of celiac disease and of gluten intolerance and what gluten is has just completely changed since when I first started. So, you know, I first changed my diet. I think it was, I was diagnosed in 2007, but I really kind of first started changing everything more like the end of 2008, 2009. So that was really at the beginning of all of this and you know I could not go out to dinner without having to explain my needs Mm -hmm. and have a server sit there and look at you like you were crazy and now I mean thankfully I do live in California so I feel like you know any of those big kind of metropolitan cities have really gotten it and understand it if you eat at a restaurant but I mean I can go to restaurants around here and they have separate gluten-free menus now you know and even some of the big chains are doing it or, or you'll go and you'll sit down and you'll see like the little GS symbol next to all of the different dishes that are safe for you to eat. And, you know, like all the grocery stores now have like little tags on the aisles. And and obviously most of them are just jumping on the bandwagon because they see such a, (laughs) a huge increase in the need and, you know, and people wanting it. Yeah. So I feel like it's gotten a lot better. I will never, I'll never forget when it really first started taking off, which was probably like maybe five years ago, I was in the grocery store and I was looking through stuff, you know, and <laughs> there was like a bottle of water that had this huge thing that said, like, it's gluten free. Oh, and I was like, oh my gosh. My gosh. And, like, <laughs> then, like, potato chips, you know, which I'm like, okay, they could have like cross contamination, but a potato is a potato and it has no meat in it, right? So I'm like, it's just funny to see how like over the years, you know, a lot of the stores and restaurants have kind of just jumped on and just like thrown gluten-free on anything they possibly could. And it, it's, you know, I mean, there, there'll be some critics that'll be like, they don't like it because they feel like it's, they're not taking celiac or gluten intolerance seriously. But then at the same time, I'm like, you know what, they're raising awareness of it for people who, who have this issue that have to stay away from it. So mm-hmm. I, think, I think that it's, it's been great. I mean, in terms of just me and what I do, you know i mean my books continue to sell we definitely see more open doors with mainstream media than we used to which i is a, a huge sign for me that things are continuing to improven, and there's you know more awareness continuing so we when we would first start you know way back with my first book in in 2013 it was like anytime you'd mention like gluten-free or paleo or grain-free like you I mean the door, doors would just be slammed in your face immediately and people didn't want to touch it because it was still new and they didn't know how it would perform with their viewers and or like you know their readers and their magazines and Now, you know, I mean, you're seeing like mainstream network TV shows that are doing like paleo challenges. They'll they'll do a paleo Mm -hmm. recipe here and there. They'll they'll do, you know, a a modification to make something gluten-free because they realize that there's there's a huge need for it.
0: That's so awesome. I know when I went gluten-free, my dad... Minnesota sweet man who works at a paper mill and he's like, does this banana have gluten in it? And I'm yes. like, oh my God. <laughs> like,
2: it's oh, so funny. It it's is. Really, I feel like they do ask. I mean, they really ask seriously. Like I, I, it took me a long time. I think that was the biggest hurdle at the beginning was just learning the ins and outs like mm-hmm. you know I remember for the first time flipping over a bottle of soy sauce and seeing wheat yes. in it and being like oh my gosh like I could not believe that there's wheat and soy sauce I just those things you know or, or a lot of salad dressings when you go out or even in the bottles it's just those things like you know you know like bread and pasta a lot of those things are going to have wheat in it but you don't realize how much it's
0: in so many other things. It is like shampoo and makeup. And it is insane when you start to look at how it's used in everything.
2: Yeah, totally. It is. It's definitely a big learning curve. I think that's kind of the hardest thing for people at first, especially like navigating the grocery store aisles or, you know, going to a restaurant of just knowing what to ask. Because if you have something like celiac or you have, you know, an autoimmune condition, like I do where I'm so Careful, but I'm also so closely correlated. My or my symptoms are so close, closely correlated to what I eat. You can't trust somebody else to make mm-hmm. the right choices for you. So, like when I would go to a restaurant and I would look at a, a menu item, and you know, I'd ask the server, "Is this gluten free?" And if they would waver at all, and they'd be mm-hmm. like, um, "I think it is," I'd be like, "I need to talk to the chef," <laughs> or yeah. "I need to like I need to modify and switch this out for this." And I would really have to kind of be my own advocate because. You just, you know, if you're going to be sick or in the hospital the next day from eating something, you have to really make sure that you're looking out for yourself. Mm
0: -hmm. Have you ever had, like, I experienced this when I switched is like almost like fear of eating out because we can cook so easily at home and like, I feel safe and I know it's in my food, but... Like I felt like then it was almost becoming this like fear where I don't want to go to like a dinner out and be the person that needs totally. to request special things um, <laughs> or be high maintenance. But like, right. have you ever experienced that? Because it can be isolating. It can be totally isolating. And I did it
2: first, and I think because I felt, I mean, I was very much like at the forefront of that whole kind of movement. So I did it first, and you know, none of my family or friends understood or ate that way, and I definitely felt like kind of the black sheep when we'd go out and like I could just see them rolling their eyes you know across it's not really thankfully but I could you know internally they were rolling their eyes at me um, of making kind of like everybody wait while I was ordering and so I think you know over time first of all I would always kind of take charge and pick where we were going to eat and I would look in advance and look at the menu and kind of see like what I might be able to eat that, that would work for me and and if it was going to be a big group, sometimes I would call ahead to the restaurant and just say like, hey, we're coming in with a big group. You know, I have a gluten intolerance and, you know, rather than like make the server stand there and ask them a billion questions, I would ask on the phone yeah. um, in advance or kind of just try to do my research. But yeah, I mean, definitely, Like, I will never forget. My parents, my in-laws have become so, so, so supportive over the last like eight years. Um, but at the beginning, they didn't really get it. And I also think they were probably kind of skeptical that it would actually work. And so they would, you know, we'd be sitting out at dinner and they'd be like, Oh, you can just have a little bit of this, right? It's not going to hurt you or, you know, things like that. And, and honestly, at the time, I, I thought I could have a little bit here and there. And I was like, Oh, yeah, I could probably eat this tonight as long as I'm careful tomorrow. And so um, they didn't take it as seriously at first and they would order things, you know, and, and ask me to try them or have a bite or share it or whatever. And and now they are all, you know, so supportive and they realize like how important it is for me and my health to eat that way. And, and actually most of them have kind of adopted a very similar way of eating anyways, because when they come over and eat at my house, they leave feeling so much better than they do with regular food. But yeah, I do. It was hard at first. And, you know, going to people's houses, I think I get a lot of those questions of like, how do you go to somebody's home and eat? And how do you throw like a party and have people over? And what kind of food do you serve? And so it definitely takes some time of kind of navigating it and figuring out what works and, you know, what doesn't work for you. But it's growing and I think it's gotten so much better.
0: So let's talk about from a business standpoint. You create this out of your own need, then you start to gain a lot of attention and traction. Then you create a book. How do you continue to scale and like redefine yourself? Because I feel like if I made one book, I don't think I'd have another book in me. So what has that process looked like for you?
2: It's so funny you say that because I actually say the same thing. So when I, (laughs) I think because I was not, I didn't feel worthy of writing a book with that first book, I put everything I could possibly think of into Mm it. Like, I'm like, all right, I'm going to put breakfast in here and I'm going to put drinks and I'm going to put desserts and I'm going to put meals and I'm going to put crock pot and I'm going to do whatever I can to like make this go out with a bang and make it my one-time thing. And then that book, the one that came out in 2013, the week after it released, it hit the New York Times bestseller. Oh my gosh. And I, again, authors like will just roll over in their brains when they hear me say this, but I didn't even know what the New York Times bestseller list was. I had no idea how to make it. I had no idea the caliber that it, you know, that it was when you made it on it. Like I remember my publisher calling to tell me and I was like, oh, that's great. Like, <laughs> Tell me what that is. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, wow, cool. I made the New York Times bestsellers list. Like, I just had no idea. And, you know, so then I remember... Figuring it out like right after that and kind of being like, oh my gosh, like I can't, I can't even believe this. This is not ever like a dream of mine and it's incredible that this is happening. And so of course with that, you know, making the times, it actually stayed on the the list for months. I can't remember exactly how many weeks. It was a lot. And so the publisher, you know, called, I think the week after release and was like, hey, we want you to write another one. (laughs) Um, And I was like, all right. And so at that point, I had started already hearing feedback from my fans and my followers that they loved the first book, but that they wanted, you know, next, they wanted more weeknight meals. And so really kind of the whole time that I've been doing this, I just, I listen to, to my fans and I, you know, I give them, I try to give them at least exactly what they want. Cause I, you know, I'm not writing these books for me. Like I can mm-hmm. write recipes and I can just cook them myself in my kitchen and I never have to share them if I don't want to. And I don't need a book of 160 recipes for myself, right? So it's, it's all for them. And so I've just really tried to listen and, and kind of crowdsource of like, okay, what do you guys want next? And I think for this way of eating, the nice thing is, is there's kind of an endless supply of inspiration in that I can go onto Pinterest and I can go and look at my old, you know, Joy of Cooking cookbooks or my old Martha Stewart cookbooks or my old Ina Garten books. And I can take all of those recipes and recreate them and there's just like an endless supply of old recipes that I can't eat anymore that I can you know modify and make and make my own and make new with new ingredients so the book you know I feel I actually now feel like I can write like 20 more I have just this list in my Um, it's, I'm terribly organized. So it's like, in probably like 20 different notes
0: on my phone,
2: but you know, every time I put out a book, I usually have a good, like hundred recipes that I wasn't able to fit into that book because my editor kind of edits me down and is like, Mm -hmm. no, you can't, you can't put this much in there without charging like $80 for the book and having it look like an encyclopedia. So they kind of edit me down and then I'm like, all right, well, that's going to go into the next book. And so I just have this, laundry list of recipes that not have, they haven't all already been created, but they have, you know, the concept is there and I just need to like get into the kitchen and test them out. So, and, and, you know, every time I go out to eat, there's something on a menu that I can't have and I write it down and like, I'm going to get back into my kitchen. I'm going to recreate, you know, that whatever, you know, whatever that dish is. And so, yeah, so the books, I just feel like I can just keep going and they're so fun. They're a lot of work. I mean, I don't think people realize like cookbooks usually take about two years kind of from the beginning when you sign a contract to it being on shelf. And the process of me creating the recipes and testing them and getting them tested by other people is usually about a year. And then we do like anywhere between 15 and 20 days of photography. full <laughs> days. So yeah, so and then there's a whole editing process, you know, months and months of editing back and forth. And all of that that goes into it. And then it finally goes to print and we wait for a few months to get the copies back, you know, so it's, it's a long process. And then there's obviously so much that goes into it with every book release. There's marketing and there's PR and there's, you know, a, a book tour and campaigns for pre-orders. And so it, it doesn't really ever stop. I think I actually just announced my fourth book last week on Tuesday and it got to number five of 1.8 million books on Amazon, which is oh gosh. crazy, especially because it doesn't even release until December. <laughs> and, you know, with every book, I, I think everybody feels this way that creates or that does, you know, any, anything creative or that you're putting a product out there. With every time I do one, I turn it in and I always think to myself, like, are they going to like this? you know, or like the night before it gets on shelf, I freak out. And I'm like, I, you know, like, what if the recipes aren't sound? And what if they don't like it? And what if it uses ingredients that they don't like? Or, you know, like, you always have that. And especially if you've had like one, the first one is successful, you know, and then it's like, your sophomore, whatever book or album or, you know, whatever you're doing, you always worry that it's not going to perform as well as the first one. And, and so to see it get to number five, this, this is my fourth, you know, I was like, okay, this is amazing. Like people, Still have a need for it; they still want it. Like, and until they tell me that they don't want it anymore, I'm gonna just keep doing it. <laughs>
0: I love that. That's amazing. I I am so inspired by you, and I love that you do market research every day. Like, really, you're just looking <laughs> at ways that you can make things your own, and I think that is so beautiful in a world that we consume so much. Like, you are keeping that creativity alive, which is so cool, Danielle. That's so cool.
2: Thank you. It is. It's fun. I mean, it. I love my job. Like I, I love what I do. And, and the recipe part is, is that my absolute favorite too. So I'm very grateful that I get to be at home and I get to do a job that I love and, and I get to help people along the way. It's it's just perfect. I can't, I couldn't ask for anything better.
0: <laughs> Amazing. So The final question for you is what is the single best piece of advice you've ever been given that you want to leave our listeners with? If they're out there trying to create something or put something out into the world, what can you leave them with? Oh man.
2: (laughs) I think just staying true to the reason why you started it. Like we said, you know, I think I just always have to go back to this is while it has become the complete, you know, provision and supporter for our family it's not why I started it and Mm -hmm. so I think continuing to listen to the people that you're putting it out there for and to be thinking about them you know always and not necessarily what you want um and but what but what they are asking for and what they would respond to and so I think if you do have any sort of an audience even if it's small to just keep them in mind and make them feel like they have you know ownership in it because you're asking their opinion and you're creating something that they might specifically be asking for. So I think just to keep that conversation open and like always asking, you know, what are you guys looking for next? And what do you want, you know, what do you want me to talk about or what do you want me to put out or what, you know, what have you been missing or what do you feel like is lacking? I think just like listening and and getting that feedback, whether it's good or bad feedback, you know, I think it's good to have both and have the critiques and the, the praise is super important and to be able to take those and, you know, improve
0: after that. I love that. You do that so well. It is, the proof is in the pudding. You guys can see exactly how Danielle does that with her audience. Where can everybody find you? Check out your website, your cookbook, share all the places that we can connect with you.
2: So I'm Against All Grain and at everything. So Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, and my books kind of all are under that same kind of umbrella, Against All Grain. So you can just look for those on Amazon, but againstallgrain.com, you can pretty much find everything that you need.
0: <laughs> Thank you so much. It is such an honor. You have been just such an inspiration to me in my own journey. And I'm so thankful that our followers connected us. We have some really awesome people in our lives. Yes, we do. I'm grateful as well. And it's been so fun listening to your podcast and hearing a lot of your
2: parallels with you and your husband, and it's just like every time you say something, I'm like, oh, yeah, us too. <laughs>
0: <laughs> best friends. I love it. Oh, yes. thank you so much, Danielle. You are the best. I appreciate you coming on and sharing everything. Like, you just blow me away. I'm so excited about your next book. I'm so excited that you keep creating. I, I feel like I would be a total one-hit wonder, so you kind of amaze me. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate it. Oh, that Danielle Walker. I am so thankful that my followers connected me to her, especially when I started embarking on my own gluten-free journey. She shared so much insight. But one thing that I want for you guys to really understand is that a lot of times in life, we create new products or services around needs that we have, and we forget that it might actually serve other people in the world. So what I love about Danielle is that she took something that she had to implement within her own life and created a business around it to help other people. Not only is her work showing up and serving others, but she created an incredibly profitable business around it. What a great reminder for all of us. The other thing that I really love that Danielle shared is that she's constantly doing market research. If there's something that you're wanting in life or you wish was created, maybe you're the person to create it. I love that she's always exploring new ways to try new things and that she is listening to her followers to get inspired for the next project. When was the last time you asked your followers what they need or what's keeping them up at night or what would bring them joy? Take some time to engage with your followers today because they might just help you think of your next great idea. Until next time, Gold Diggers, keep on digging your biggest goals and a huge giant thank you to Danielle for being my
1: guest today. Thanks for listening to the Gold Digger Podcast.